uh, well, we mean at the end of the day, we're designing for, for our users. And in order to get to know our users, we need to immerse them, immerse ourselves as much as we can in their daily lives. One of the best things you can do is try to um, experience new cultures as much as you can. If that, it, it requires a lot of communication and dedication. The freelancer life isn't necessarily for everyone. You can't just focus on products anymore. We need to think about everything in terms of service and in terms of experience. Hey everyone, welcome to Design Work, a podcast where we learn from creatives who are designing their work, lives and everything in between. I'm your host, Kate Darby. You'll also find me designing brands at my own studio and being co-founder of Dovetail X, a platform to discover and curate epic creative talent. Go check it out at dovetailx.com. This week, I'm chatting with Ethan Parry, a senior UX researcher and service designer based in Barcelona. With a background in communications, Ethan made the jump into service and UX design. He has worked and taught workshops in Silicon Valley and Colombia, and now he's in Barcelona. In this interview, Ethan and I chat about the importance of immersing yourself in different cultures, why you don't need to work at a big brand company to have an impact, and finding work-life balance when you're working for someone else or yourself. Okay, let's get on with it. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Ethan Parry. He's a UX researcher and service designer. He's a freelancer based in Barcelona. So thanks for joining me today, Ethan. So I'd like to start off by asking my guests a little bit about their background and what got you started down the rabbit hole that is design. (laughs) That's a good question. I actually, my background isn't in design. It's in communications and public relations. And so I got my degree in in NPR. And I've had the chance to work at several agencies. I've mostly worked at agencies in my professional career. But I have always had this itch, this desire to get into the world of design. And so I worked at um, Edelman or Eastwick, which is now Hotwire. I always tried to find time to pick the brains of all those creative individuals at the design teams of the agencies that I worked at. And from there, so I was living in San Francisco for about a year and a half. And that is when I decided that I wanted to get into design. And so my having no background, having no experience, I thought I would get a master's in design. And so I had I had taken a course or two um, from General Assembly. They have a UX online immersive, and that's where I really got my feet wet into the world of UX. And then from there, I decided to look at a master's. And I love Barcelona. I've lived in Spain for I think almost almost four years. And so when it when I found out that Elisava, which is a top design school here in Barcelona, offered a master's in interaction design, I didn't really have to think twice about it. Applied. I was really nervous because I didn't have a design background. So when they asked me for a portfolio, I started going to my friends and asking if they wanted me to design design them a website or something to get graphic stuff in my portfolio. But they did accept me. I got my master's in interaction design and now I'm in the world of design. So I'm super excited. That's awesome. And so what made you choose to go um, down the path of user experience design and research? Yeah, so user experience design, I, I think 
Well, I'm, I'm mostly focused on, on UX research. And what I love about research is just really deep diving, really understanding what the user needs. And I think it couples nicely with my background in communications. I love talking to people. And at the end of the day, as a UX researcher, I have to talk to our users. I have to figure out not only what they want, but what they truly need. And the only way that I can do that is by actually talking to them. So I, although I love design and in terms of, and I'm capable of designing interfaces, um, what's really fulfilling to me is understanding the why and, and actually talking to people. Yeah, I think that the communications part is such an important skill that can sometimes be left a little to the sidelines in design school. And, you know, there's a lot of debate that goes on, oh, should designers code? Uh, but more recently, I've seen a lot of people saying, should designers write? And a lot of people are saying, oh. yes, absolutely. Because I think uh, I, I saw a talk um, by someone recently, I've forgotten who it was, uh, oh, Jason Fried, who's the co-founder of Basecamp. And he was saying how the main thing he looks for when he's hiring somebody is if they can write, like no matter what their job description mm. is, like if they're an engineer, designer, chief financial officer, they need to be able to write and communicate um, in that way because it just means that they can condense their ideas down, communicate with their team, with their customers, with their stakeholders much more effectively. So I think the writing side of things can come in super handy now as designers and designers have typically been put in the corner as, you know, oh, they can't really <laughs> spell or write very well. So it's all coming full circle again, really. I agree. I agree. And actually in terms of the spelling, I consider myself to, to be a good speller, but um, a, a quick plug-in for a tool that I love is Grammarly. I don't know if you've heard of Grammarly, but always. Um, it's, a, it's a nice plugin that uh, works with Gmail, works with pretty much everything. And so it automatically corrects my grammar, especially that's, that's the main problem is, is I used to have really good grammar and, you know, it's super good at spelling ever since I was little and in elementary school. But now since I mostly communicate in Spanish, I will often have these moments and it's, it's embarrassing, but I'll often have these moments where and English for, for listeners, English is my native language, um, where I'll just completely forget words or, exp or like explaining things to my family and friends back home. It will, it will it's a lot harder <laughs> because I'm, I think in Spanish, I dream in Spanish. And so that's kind of comes with living in a different culture, but Grammarly has helped me out when I needed to write things in English. It's just a, it's a free plugin and um, works in Word, and, and so when I'm writing blogs and things, it'll help correct those mistakes that I wouldn't have made several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so interesting to hear about. Yeah, I can totally understand though the switching between languages starts to become like very confusing, and especially because Spanish and English are so similar but also so different. So things start to you know wires start to cross a bit there. Another exactly. tool that I like, yeah, another tool I find helpful, I haven't used Grammarly, but I'll definitely check it out. But there's one called the Hemingway edit, Editor, if you've heard of that one. It's mm. it's kind of like a, it's a online word editor that you um, use like a Google Doc, but it it helps you write more like Ernest Hemingway because he's got a very direct writing style, no adverbs, shorter sentences, um, and it, how it grades your writing of how, 
sort of like if an eighth grader could understand it or if it's an 11th grader sort of calls you out if you're using a lot of jargon and unnecessary <laughs> filler words. So that's another good one if you're trying to condense your writing and be more direct. Yeah, I'll check that out as well. And so uh, you sort of mentioned a bit about the transition to Barcelona and, you know, talking back to your family in the States. What are some other things you've found maybe culturally that's been different in terms of user research and how maybe users in Barcelona or Spain might go about something versus back in the States or in other cultures? Yeah, I think uh, specifically with Spain, it's it's interesting. So I kind of just to give you a little bit of, uh, I guess, background as, as to why I decided Spain besides going to design school. Um, as a UX researcher, I think it's essential that, uh, well, we need at the end of the day, we're designing for, for our users. And in order to get to know our users, we need to immerse them immerse ourselves as much as we can in their daily lives and try to get to new cult, get to know new cultures and experience new ways of living. And so that's kind of one of the main drivers since I knew I was interested in UX research. I wanted to, there are always great opportunities in a lot of the big tech hubs in the States, but I wanted to, A, that's why I wanted to learn design in, in a different country, in a different continent and also work. And, and what I found in just the short time that I've been working in Barcelona is all of these differences between the U.S. and Spain. And so now I can better design. When I'm designing for someone, I can not only design for people in Spain, I can design for people in the States. I, I frequently do workshops and uh, speak at conferences in South America my recommendation, whether you're a UX researcher or a UI designer, one of the best things you can do is try to um, experience new cultures as much as you can. If that's traveling, if that's if you have the opportunity to immerse yourself and live in a new place for a while, that's what I would recommend. Um, and in terms of Spain, Spain's different because UX, where the st in the states uh, there's a strong UX market. It seems like everyone and their dog is a UX designer <laughs> in the US. Um, in Spain, that isn't the case. It's UX is still fairly new and it's still fairly green. Which to me, that's really exciting. There are a lot of op new opportunities and a lot of opportunities to define the industry, which is kind of one of the main reasons why I'm here. Is you know, I don't expect to be this huge design leader who changes and revolutionizes the UX industry in Spain, but there is the opportunity to, um, yeah, like right now, for example, I just told you about the like Spanish to English thing. I think of different um, phrases in Spanish that make sense, <laughs> but, uh, um, but just to bring a little bit to the table, um, as I say, just a little bit of sand in, in, in Spanish, just bring my, a little bit of sand and contribute even in the smallest sense to, to the industry. And I think right now as anywhere, well, at least in the States, the trend that I'm seeing, and I, I'm a big fan of this trend. And I think in other places too, um, is there's this trend that's kind of slowly starting to move away from, from unicorns and titles of, okay, you're a UX designer, which means you do research, UI design, program, like you code. 
Whereas, um, so I'm seeing in the States that it's shifting more to individualized roles. And I really like that, especially as a UX researcher, um, more and more companies and not just, not just the big tech companies, but smaller companies as well are realizing that UX research is important and that there should be an individual or several individuals who are dedicated to that role. Whereas in Spain right now, currently it is very unicorn in the sense that they expect you to do everything. Now I'm very fortunate to have my role as a UX researcher and service designer, but overall it's, it's still the industry here still looking for someone who can do everything. Yeah, it's really similar in New Zealand as well, where it's a much smaller industry compared to somewhere like the States. So the States, you know, everybody starts to get um, compartmentalized quite quickly. And, you know, yeah, companies are much larger and they've got um, really big processes. We're in New Zealand and it sounds like it's the same in Spain. Um, A lot of these companies are just sort of coming around to the idea that, oh, okay, we should do this thing called user experience design. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. here's one person who's got this job title. They can just go and do it. <laughs> um, and and the person's like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I think we're starting to see a lot more development in the industry here too at a pretty fast pace as well because I think companies are seeing the payoff that investing in design and user experience design and research is having in their companies like right throughout the company from the service mm-hmm. they provide to the marketing, to the business model, to everything. So yeah, it's a really exciting time to be a UX designer or a service designer in these more, I wouldn't say they're emerging markets, but they're smaller kind of up and coming markets. And there's definitely more room to shape and lead the charge a wee bit. Exactly. And something, something, so as, as I briefly mentioned, I, I love South America. (laughs) That's the thing. I, I, I feel like I speak more Spanish than I do English. Um, but I have had the opportunity and have been very fortunate the past few years to lead workshops and speak at conferences in, in South America. And one of, the, one of my passions um, is really just to, as much as I can when I go to these countries, to interact with university students. And for me, oftentimes I have heard countless, I've heard countless times that um, university students when they hear that I've ha- been very fortunate to, to live in, in Silicon Valley, um, I mentioned those two words, Silicon Valley, and oftentimes everyone's reaction is, wow, wow, you, how was it living next to Google and Facebook and, and Twitter? And I share my experience. I've, I've learned and I've grown a lot from, from my time there. But at the same time, I tried to inspire them. I tried to, well, I mentioned, one, if your dream is, you know, well, if you have the American dream and you want to go to the States and and make a difference, I'm not going to stop you. Obviously, I want to encourage you. I want you to follow your dreams, right? But at the same time, I try to encourage them, kind of what you were just mentioning, to make an impact. I think um, there are a lot of resources in all of these countries around the world. And sometimes we're just not aware of the different resources and the different opportunities. And so, we think it's the grass is always greener on the other side. And so that's kind of one of another, that's another one of my passions is to just inspire others, um, especially in the world of design and to in, uh, encourage them to, to leave an impact on their own country um, because the amount of good that they can do is, is unmeasured. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I, I definitely used to have a similar mindset about Silicon Valley, but thinking, oh my God, everybody that works at, you know, Facebook, Google, all these companies must just be amazing. And like those people (laughs) are amazing. But the thing that I realized going there quite often over the past couple of years is that they're also just like you and me as well. Like it's not that they're, if you don't work at those companies, you suck. Like there's so many other amazing designers and the possibilities to be an amazing designer, not at one of those big tech companies. And I think, you know, for students, especially it can sometimes seem like if you're, if you want to be good, you have to be at one of those big name companies. But in reality, you know, you might just be designing like a small part of, you know, a search bar somewhere. But Mm -hmm. if you were applying those, you know, amazing skills that you have to, more sort of social impact problems or other things in your local sort of country or industry, you know, your impact can be far, far greater. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And so you mentioned you were doing a lot of workshops in South America and I imagine maybe you're doing some in Barcelona as well. Can you tell me a bit about Mm -hmm. what those workshops are and how you're running them? Yeah. So I love teaching. I love teaching actually, to be honest, um, I love my country, but unite in the states at least, uh, teachers aren't paid very aren't paid very well, and I think that's kind of general. But um, I, for example, if I could choose any profession, I'd be I'd be probably an elementary school teacher. I find such joy, and that's like has nothing to do with design, but I love teaching and I feel like it's 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 really rewarding and we need teachers I'm grateful for all the teachers that I've had and so I can kind of get that fulfillment at least in in some part by teaching design and I you know have looked to I've had great mentors as I've entered the world of UX design and service design and UX research and so I kind of want to give back and I feel like in these emerging markets um, in Spain in South America, they kind of lack the, this mentorship. And so uh, recently, so I kind of, I, I talk, I speak on a lot of different topics. I speak on innovation, um, particularly agile methodologies. So things like uh, agile Google design sprints. I've been recently doing a lot of workshops around Google design sprints, which is a topic that is super exciting. Um I most recently did a workshop with in Colombia a couple months ago with Bank Colombia, which is the largest Colombian bank, and helped them understand their users a little bit more. And we did a Google Design Sprint, which is which is really exciting and it was a lot of fun. And we got our hands dirty really quickly and came up with solutions um, for how they could better reach their users. I also, of course, since I love UX research, I've done a few workshops around UX research. So how do we really understand our users and giving um, the participants in my workshops? Because uh, I'm, I'm very practical with my workshops. So I wanted them to understand the difference between qualitative and quantitative research and also have the opportunity to use a lot of different methods. And I like to, instead of just rattling off and, and speaking, I really do like to make it as interactive as possible. So oftentimes, uh, especially with Google Design Sprint or, or even in the case of my UX research workshop, I like to have a challenge where 
during the course of the workshop, whether it's a few hours or whether it's a few days, um, they have to work to solve that that challenge. And what I try to do is um, have it so at the end of the day, the, the results can be implemented. So if it was the case of the company, this is often easier. So when I was working with Ban Colombia, they're going to um, apply all the things that that they've done. Whereas um, if, if I'm conducting another workshop for the community, I still try to at least have a relevant challenge where they feel that at the end of the day, their work wasn't in vain and that they can um, go out and change the community if it's regarding social impact or um, what have you. So I, I love doing workshops and I actually learn so much more from everyone else, especially from a culture perspective. I like I was in Peru as well a few weeks ago and I was working at a collaborative space with about, I think, 15 people. And I was with them for the course of four days. And some, if I remember correctly, the challenges that I launched well, that I gave the groups were how can we improve the, the metro, like the public transport system? How can we um, help women feel safer in our community? Because there's a lot of, unfortunately, in Peru, there's a lot of violence against women. And how can we create a government that is transparent and connects with, with the citizens? And so they come up with some great solutions, especially around the topic of um, violence against women and um, kind of the machista culture, the very macho culture in Peru. Uh, came up with some great solutions and they felt inspired to you know, take their ideas. They took all of the paperwork, all of the affinity maps, everything that they made over the course of those four days, they actually took it home with them because they wanted to continue to create this platform that they had, that they had ideated during the course of the four days. Um, that's all focused on respect. And I love that. I think that's, that's really neat. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And so it sounds like you've been able to help these people sort of realize their own impact that they can have. And it's quite often the thing with like user research and is about sort of uncovering stuff that's already there, but just bringing it to the surface. So I think the cool thing about the workshops, it sounds like is you're obviously teaching user research skills, but it's kind of also doing the same job at the same time, like helping people realize things about themselves that they've already got inside of them and capabilities that they might not know and they already had. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, it's quite interesting to hear about, you know, you've been traveling around a lot with this work. So how have you come to, you know, work and travel like this? I mean, to a lot of people that seems like that is, you know, the ideal kind of job, like, <laughs> you, get to, you know, do a bit of both. So how did you come about to do that? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So I love traveling. I, I think a lot of people like traveling. Um, and at first I, I did have a very nine to five job. And so, um, of course I, I did really enjoy it, but I knew that I had bigger goals and I wanted uh, the problem that, that I have, <laughs> it, it can be a blessing and a curse saying no to things. And so there are a lot of different opportunities that have come up 
in my life. And I usually have had to say yes, because I can't pass it up. But um, I think it all started with one of the first agencies actually that I worked at. They really started to adopt um, this option of working from home and really embracing a work from anywhere mentality. It doesn't matter where you physically are. Uh, as long as you get the work done, as long as you communicate with your team, we have tools nowadays, Slack, Skype, we can get on and communicate super easily and keep our teams posted that you don't need to physically be in the office. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I think I've, I'm seeing that a lot with companies and freelancers, like the freelancers get the taste of the flexibility and they're like, yeah, I'm not going back from this. And then companies are also realizing the flexibility has so many benefits for them. You know, you don't have to necessarily mm-hmm. have the office space. You can bring on these much more flexible teams. So I know we were talking earlier about how Hantho has made up of freelancers. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you guys work on projects together in that way? Yeah, so we are a team of all freelancers, which I think is awesome. Um, So, yeah, I often will, we really depend on communication. Communication, again, is key, and that helps us as, like, UX designers and designers and and everything. So we, we have our kind of our weekly meetings, whereas whether it's a UX catch up where every project, every client that we have, they provide a small update on, on what's happening or just we, uh, daily calls. And I'm always constantly chatting with, with my coworkers over Slack, get, hopping on the phone. Um, it, it requires a lot of communication and dedication. The freelancer life isn't necessarily for everyone. I think it's important talking a little bit about... Um, about just freelancing life in general, I think what's really important for any freelancer is to be able to have a work-life balance. And that's something that I also really wanted as I was looking for my next opportunity was how they value work-life balance. And I think that's constant. Everyone's kind of constantly in that boat where they might ask their employer, Oh, what's work-life balance like? And of course they could tell you one thing, but it's really like another, maybe they are, saying what I'm putting their, their money where their mouth is, but at least with, with kind of the dynamic that we have and Spain as well, it's very much at the end of the day, once work is over, um, let's go out for, let's go out and get something to eat. And we don't necessarily, we might talk for work for a little bit, but that's not the main focus where I've seen that in other contexts where, in San Francisco or whatever, I'll go out to eat maybe with my colleagues, but it'll still be about work and it'll still be very much about networking and things like that. Where as here, it's very much at the end of the day, we close our laptops, whether we're in Madrid, whether we're in Barcelona, we go out with our friends to get some dinner or we go out as a team, but it's not always about work. So but I, I like that. I mean, thanks to technology, it's really easy to to talk to my team. I just need to hop on whenever. But I need to, and this is something that I've learned, is I need to clearly communicate with them and let them know where I'm at, what I'm doing. Not 
not overkill, but so they're aware that I'm not just sleeping in bed. <laughs> yeah, there's a fine balance between, you know, keeping people up to date and like giving, every, making sure everybody's in the loop with what you're doing or like oversharing completely and everyone's like, stop pinging exactly. me on Slack. Yeah. I don't care if you're doing this. Just <laughs> tell me when you get back from your doctor's appointment or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And I think. I've definitely seen the same thing in San Francisco where people are just, it's almost like a competition, like who can be the most busy and the most overworked. And that's not just San Francisco, that's massive generalization, but um, Mm -hmm. particularly there and some other like big hub kind of industry places that, you know, it's a big competition, like who's staying the latest, who's like um, up the earliest going to the gym and then going to the office and then going to a networking event and doing all of these things. And I'm like, how are you guys not completely burnt out by now? (laughs) But I think Spain's definitely got the right idea with the siestas as well. Yeah, siesta. I mean, I, (laughs) I, I haven't taken a siesta yet, although I really should. Um, and I think, I think it's interesting too, because at first, um, just again, I, I keep kind of comparing my experience from the States to here and, or, or in, just in general with any freelance kind of more open work from home environment at first, for those of you listening who maybe are just entering uh, a work, uh, a job that kind of has this environment or, or maybe you're currently in one. At first, it was hard for me to just kind of get up and leave my office, like if I had a doctor's appointment or something, because from that culture, it ingrained in me that if I was leaving first, then I wasn't doing I wasn't doing good work. And so I think what like you were saying, there exists this mindset where, you know, if you don't get in early or if you it's, it's not measuring the quality of work. It's based on the, the actual time. And that's where we start to create problems. So just because I got in at 9.30 instead of 9.15 because of traffic, I'm, I'm automatically like, oh, what is he doing? Like, he, he's not prioritizing. It's not reflective of the actual work I'm doing. It's the fact it's based on time. And so I think when... I would leave the office a little bit early because maybe I had a dentist appointment or something. Just, I felt guilty and it's, it's not good for our health. Um, but people do feel guilty for leaving early. But what I love about kind of this freelancer world is, Hey, come and go as you please. We're not judging you. It's really focused on the quality of your work. And if you're producing high quality work, that's what matters. That's what's important. Yeah, absolutely. I think it can also be hard at the other end of the spectrum in that sort of freelance life when you're working more directly with clients and you're, you know, really relying on that client relationship and bringing in all those different projects that you can overwork yourself even more that way because mm-hmm. you're realizing, you know, like every hour I'm not working, I'm not bringing in money. So like I need to be working every hour of the day and it starts <laughs> to get take a massive toll on people and that you know, that isolation factor of not having the coworkers to go out and have a drink with after work or something like that. Like suddenly you've just got all of this weight on your shoulders. So I think it can be really difficult for people who uh, are freelancing in that way as well to pull themselves back and try give themselves a work-life balance when they're still like feeling that pressure of like, I've got to put food on the table this week. Like I can't go have a drink like mm-hmm. after work. Like that's <laughs> stupid but like in reality you know it's all about 
having that balance so that you don't burn out the week after that and need, you know, a month off. Exactly. And I think building off of that, I think it's important to, especially if you work in kind of a a work from home one, I think from in terms of the business, and I'm not going to touch a lot on this because I'm not kind of on the operations team, but I think it's really important from an operations perspective at, at the company that I work for that they really value and try to, despite the fact that, for example, at Hantha, we're a completely remote team. And so I can go into Barcelona's office right now or Madrid's office, and there will be a few individuals working there, but not the whole team. So I think it's important that the company invests in creating a, a strong culture. What do we do? There are a lot of creative ways that I've seen uh, other companies do in terms of creating culture, having weekly meetings, sending awards, what have you, off-sites. And, and they invest in the culture. And the other thing is, I think you need to invest in yourself. Again, not, not overdo it, but at least if you do work from home, I would always recommend going to a co-working space every once in a while. There are co-working spaces that are fairly cheap and you can meet other people. You can get out, go to other events. And it, it's needed because if you just kind of lock yourself up in, in your office then um, you need that human interaction. So I'd also recommend that as well. So if you are just getting started with freelancing, uh, to get out there as well, look for different co-working or meetups or things related to, to your industry and to use that to, to meet other people and not just stay at home 100% of the time. Yeah, and it can become really easy to fall into the habit of just staying at home because you think, oh, I'm fine here, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it's not until it's too late that you realize, oh, you're not fine. Um, So, yeah, it's good to get out regularly. And I even find just, you know, going to a cafe and working for the afternoon can be a really good change of scenery and, like, way to refocus yourself. Are there any um, other things that you like to do to, like, you know, refocus, stay sort of fresh or... um, like stay creative like uh, do you have routines or sort of maybe apps or anything you like to use yeah so I'm I'm a big fan I'm okay so I'm not gonna say I <laughs> I'm not gonna pretend to be the most athletic guy out there but I really do love I, I really do love running and I oftentimes and now that I'm back here I mean it's been a little bit crazy because I've just moved back to Barcelona so I I need to first get all settled into my new apartment that's coming up tomorrow. So that's exciting. But I, when I did live in Barcelona before, when I was doing my master's, I would often run along the beach, which is very nice and just disconnect completely. And oftentimes I, I do like listening to music while I run, but occasionally I will actually just leave my phone at home. I am a very digital person. I have all my apps and my email and everything on my phone. And so I'm constantly checking it more than I should. And I, so that's oftentimes I, the best way for me to refocus and think creatively is to just kind of set the distractions aside and turn off or put my phone in airplane mode or go for a run and not listen to music, but listen to this concept of, wow, nature, it exists. There are birds, there are, nat- there are sounds in nature. And to just disconnect from that and leave my phone at home has, has helped me a lot. And it allows my brain to think freely with, without interruptions. I 
In terms of tools, I'm well, I'm a big fan of writing things down. So I have my Moleskin notebook that actually I just I'm on my last page of this one and I just write. I write. I am a big to-do list kind of person and I often will write my to-do list down and I'll couple that sometimes with other task management tools such as Asana or Trello. And so those help me digitally, but I'm also a big fan of actually writing things down. Um, recently, in terms of like kind of note-taking, depositories, I'm a big fan of Notion. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Notion, for the listeners, if you've heard of Notion, but it's notion.so. I'm a big fan of Notion. I serve on the Interaction Awards uh, design committee and we've been using that recently. And it's a place where you can just organize your thoughts. You can create tables. You can create charts, bring in links. It's kind of a Evernote, but I, I'm, I'm more of a fan of Notion. But I've been using that recently to kind of track my thoughts and kind of a knowledge repository, so to speak, um, for myself and for other projects that I have going on. I'm a massive fan of notebooks as well. Like for, you know, if I'm designing something, I just find if I can stop getting on the computer and just start drawing stuff, you know, it looks crap usually, but it's, you know, it's like the way the ideas are forming is so much better than when I'm trying to do it and make it look actually look good on a computer. Whereas drawing just, you know, on a notebook and, you know, you've already accepted the idea that it's going to look crap. So it's fine. And it's kind of the same with scribbling down notes. Like mm-hmm. you're just dumping the stuff down. Like it doesn't matter how well crafted the sentence is. like, just like get it out of your brain and onto the paper. And suddenly it feels like there's a weight off your shoulders. It's so good. Exactly. No. And I am very much a perfectionist. So when it comes time to when I'm working on wireframes or, or, or interface or anything design related, that's, that's what I tend to do is I tend to sketch it out in my notebook first and I'll do maybe several iterations. So I'll say, okay, well, I like this here. I like this here, move this here. And otherwise, if I just kind of start, I don't know something it's, it's interesting because starting with a blank page in a notebook for me is exciting and it's not, Oh my goodness. How, how do I do this? But sketch or or photoshop or illustrator when i have something when i have a design program opened on my mac it's somehow i don't know this sounds really weird but it's it's even more intimidating for me because like i don't know where do i start and i expect i have this kind of expectation that i need to because i'm using a design program that it needs to be perfect from the get-go whereas you were just saying with if it's on paper it kind of it can be loose it can be messy and then from there, I'll, I'll transfer that to a digital form. But sometimes when I start at the digital, I'm like, oh, I don't know where to start. And I'm, I'm almost paralyzed, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I'm totally the same. Yeah. And so with the kinds of projects that you're working on, you were saying that you've been doing a lot of banking and financial projects recently. Are there any other mm-hmm. like industries or types of projects that you're maybe starting to work on or you're really keen to get your foot in the door and uh, or get your teeth into to work on? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I've, I've been in banking for a bit and I started when I was working at InnoCells, which is a part of Banco Sabadell, like I mentioned earlier. And 
I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed, we focused on a project uh, that's actually live, so I can talk about it, which is exciting. Um, it's called uh, Mito now, M-I-T-T-O. Uh, and the website's getmito.com and you can check it out. But it was all about helping youth save money. And surprise, surprise, in Spain and the United States, I'm sure in New Zealand as well, youth in general don't save their money. So at least what we were trying to do is help them save their money. And so that was a really exciting project that I got to work on. And we created kind of a platform. Um, it was also related, they would get their own card. And that was really exciting. Here at Hanzo, I am working on another really exciting project with a client that is, uh, their processes are, are very 20th century, 19th century. Even. Wow. And... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not nineteenth, but very, very in the sense, very in the, very much in the sense that um, that not digital at all. Um, very much knock on the door, um, ask if you want a credit card. The CRM is with the individual who's knocking on the door, and so it's uh, what we have a huge task, and it's uh, really exciting. Is that we're digitizing this entire financial institution. So that's exciting too. So I've been very involved in banking, but your question was about kind of what other sectors do I want to get into or what other kind of projects do I want to work on? And yeah, I'm constantly looking at, at different sectors. I want to get involved with more kind of social responsibility projects. I think that we have a lot to do in terms of, um, just in terms of really it's but and also from also from like a political perspective is restoring trust in in our government institutions and there are a lot of different issues that that need to be addressed that are currently being ignored and i also would really like specifically and if if my coworkers listen to this <laughs> my boss will I also know, but I'm interested too. We we actually work with clients in in kind of the tourism sector as well, and so I'm interested. Well, we also have clients in 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 fashion, and I think it'd be really interesting to work with kind of tourism hotels, kind of understand that sector a little bit more, as well as fashion. I think it's interesting. A lot of concepts, especially around fashion. I'm not again. Not a super fashionable person, but I do know how to dress myself fairly well. But the fa there's a lot of these different concepts that are coming up. You know, fast fashion with the you know individuals are looking for you know cheap clothes that they'll probably throw out in a few months, but they're cheap and they don't really care, and so that creates a new dynamic. Um, I also would love to work as a broader sense with. The sharing economy. I, I was work and kind of the subscription based economy as well. We look at now everything's again a service. That's why I'm a service designer. Is you can't just focus on products anymore. We need to think about everything in terms of service and in terms of experience. And so nowadays, you know, hardly are there products where we just buy the product. We're often subscribing to a service such as Netflix or Hulu, and I think there are a lot of different companies that are kind of reinventing themselves with subscription-based models that I think is, is a really interesting kind of field to explore as well. And I'd love to do more work in, 
in that. And, and sharing economy, I every time I travel, we mentioned how I'm fortunate to travel. I'm a big fan of Airbnb. And just the, nowadays, you know, and I ride in Uber, people are sharing their cars, people are sharing their homes. And, you know, what's kind of next for that? So I have a lot of different projects <laughs> I want to get involved in, but I have to take I have to take it one step at a time. But <laughs> no, that's really that that's me. really exciting. And I think the cool thing about service design is, you know, it's not limited by industry or by technology because it's always comes back to, you know, human beings who are going to be using it. So as long as human beings are using it, I mean, you, unless you become like an animal experience designer, um, you know, there's <laughs> always going to be you know, work for service designers across all these different industries with these different technologies. And I think it's so interesting when, you know, for example, like banking technology is combined with say like virtual reality or augmented reality, like how can that affect the experience? And then like what happens when a service designer works with a fashion brand? Like there's so many interesting possibilities that happen when um, those different skill sets and backgrounds kind of collide into one um, one project. So yeah, that sounds really cool. And I'd love to see you working on that kind of stuff. So <laughs> on that note, uh, we'll let you go, Ethan, but thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been really interesting to hear about your background and your experience. Uh, and so if you can let everybody know where to find you on the interweb. Yeah. On the interwebs. I'll let <laughs> everyone know. So Feel free. Um, it's Ethan Perry, uh, E-T-H-A-N-P-A-R-R-Y. Perry, oftentimes people like to spell it with an E, but I'm with an A. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn as Ethan Perry or on Twitter, Ethan Perry 3. Ethan Perry was taken, so I had to add randomly add a 3 at the end of there. And um, Or you can find me as well on my website, my personal portfolio and blog, EthanPerry.design. Awesome. And I'll link all of that stuff plus the other things we've talked about in the show notes down the bottom as well. So thanks again, Ethan. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Design Work. If you enjoyed it, give us a rating to help spread the word and subscribe to get your weekly fix. That's right. It's weekly now. You can also find us keeping social on Twitter at Design Work Pod and Instagram at Design Work Podcast. Design work is brought to you by Dovetail X. Find epic creative talent and assemble teams for your next project. Head to dovetailx.com to get started. See you back here for more interviews with trailblazing creatives on how they design work.